We're continuing our study in Matthew's Gospel, the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20, verses 1 through 19. This is God's Word. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour. And did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, They began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So, the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. I know this is the last day for our Wheaton volunteers, and I want to say how grateful we are for the hard work that you've done. We have some other folks who are on mission who have arrived today, and I haven't promised any of you even a denarius. (laughs) But suppose, suppose that you got a job And you had a contract that you would work all day for this much pay. How many of you have been a day laborer before? Let me see your hand. Yeah, I certainly have. So, you know, these are the things I'm to do, and 
at the end of the day, this is what I get. Been there, done that. Suppose this happened to you. I mean, we read it in the Bible, and it's a story, and it's interesting. And yes, well, of course, uh, Jesus uh, told this because it's, um, it's an important principle. And, um, <clears throat> but what if it happened to you? What if you worked all day in the heat of the day, pouring it on, giving it your best, and somebody who showed up at the last minute having goofed off downtown all day, it's the same thing you do. Well, that hardly seems fair. I cannot count the number of times that people going through difficulty have said in my presence and often directed toward me, what did I do to deserve this? Why is this happening to me? I don't think it's fair. You want fair? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages we have earned with our sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you ever feel that you deserve better, uh, tell yourself the truth and banish that thought. You and I don't deserve better. Well, yes, I've tried hard. Okay, go back to my swimming to Europe example. If you really try hard, will you make it? No. If you don't try hard, will you make it? No. Whether you are a just blatant, wicked person who deserves hell, or a self-righteous rules keeper who thinks you're better than others and therefore suffers with the satanic sin of pride, you deserve hell. That's what we all deserve. It's not some of us. What all of us are entitled to if we get what we have earned is being destroyed by God's wrath. Now, I like to share this in a, an HR context. As an employer over the years, I have sometimes seen people chafe under the fact that they felt it's not so much that I'm not getting enough, it's that I don't see why that person's getting what I am. It just, it doesn't seem right. On a team, it could be about who gets playing time and who has to come and sit on the bench for a little while. In all kinds of different settings, we're not just concerned about what we're getting, we're concerned about what others are getting. It doesn't seem right. Imagine if you were a first century Christian who had literally lost loved ones because of the persecution led by Saul of Tarsus. I mean, according to Saul's own testimony after he became the Apostle Paul, he rounded people up not only for persecution, but persecution to death. 
not just Stephen apparently, Saul was killing Christians in the name of God. And so imagine how you would feel if that guy had done that to your family and then all of a sudden he gets born again. He gets converted. And God not only is willing to take away his punishment, God chooses him to be an apostle and to write more of the New Testament than anybody else? Give me a break. You gotta be kidding. Why him? I'm not saying it has to be me, but, but not him. Why would you do that for him? I would not have voted in favor of it, just so you know. I'm not this person who says, oh yes, well, the ways of God are mysterious, but who can complain? That's not the way I feel, okay? It's what I know, but it's not the way I feel. I feel like God does stuff that I would never do. Well, that's true. Because I'll tell you, I would never send my son to die for somebody like me. Wouldn't. Because I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to go to heaven. I was sharing with someone just the other day, just last night in fact, about the use of what's called the EE questions. They are questions, diagnostic questions, that people who are trained in evangelism explosion as an approach to witnessing learn to ask when the setting is right. Sometimes they say it when the setting is wrong, but in any case, um, the two questions are, have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you were to die right now, you'd go to heaven? That's question one. Second question is, if you should die right now and God were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? And those questions are actually very helpful at clarifying where people are coming from. I've asked those questions literally of thousands of people over the years, some of them in group settings. If you're wondering if I'm exaggerating, no, I'm not. But I've asked thousands of people those two questions and had them write down their answers because then they can't take it back, okay? When you do it verbally, which I've also done a lot, probably with hundreds of people, if you do it verbally, they'll say something and you recap it and say, so what you're saying is this, and they say yes. And then you share the gospel with them, they're like, oh, well, yeah, well, I believe that. Like, after, after they hear what may, in fact, be familiar truth, then they'll say, well, yeah, that's what I meant to say. That's my answer. That's what, but it's not. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so I was telling someone last night when the subject of those questions came up that one of my most memorable experiences with those diagnostic questions was when I got a telephone call back when I was pastoring on Cape Cod. They said, there's a woman who is in hospice care 
and she's asked that you please come to her home and meet with her. In case you don't know what hospice care is, that means that they know you're dying and you know you're dying. So I went to her home. I'd never met her before, never been to their home before, never heard her name before. We'd had no previous contact. She had gotten my number out of the phone book. And I went to her home, and we talked only a few minutes. She was clearly in a weakened state. And I said, well, let me just ask you, have, have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you were to die right now, you'd go to heaven? And she said, no, that's why I called you. I said, okay, okay, that's good, that's good. And I said, well, let me ask you this. If you were to die right now, and God were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? And she said, I don't deserve to go to heaven. Well, I teared up. Because I've heard so many people answer that question. And you know what they do? The vast majority, including church people, will say, well, uh, I've tried hard to live a good life, and I've, I've tried to be kind to others, and... and, and uh, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've never done this, and I've never done this. And almost everybody says, and I've never killed anybody. As if that, you know, that puts me over the top, okay? You know, it was kind of touch and go there for a while, but when I heard you never killed anybody, well, then you're in, okay? I'm always a little nervous when people don't say they've never killed anybody. But this woman did not give me a speech about why she ought to go to heaven. She told me very simply and plainly, I don't deserve to go to heaven. And I said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And I shared the gospel with her. I told her that Jesus came to save sinners, and all of us are in that category. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us deserves to go to heaven. You are a wise person if you know that. God has done a work in you to bring you to the point of realizing that you don't deserve to go to heaven. And so Jesus took the punishment that we deserve. He bore the wrath of God for us. And as a consequence of his perfect sacrifice, you and I can now be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That is the truth. That is what Jesus says. And we've got a culture filled with people who say, well, that's not fair. Well, that doesn't seem right. Well, why is there only one way? Well, what about people who don't believe? And some preachers will respond by saying, well, you know, we just don't know. I mean, I'm not in the place of God. Well, I know. And not because I'm in the place of God, but because God has spoken. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. We all love John 3.16. Let me read you the end of John 3. 
Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Not will come on him, remains on him. That's what God says about it. I just don't think that's fair. You don't want fair. If we get what's fair, we're all going to hell. And some will be in the extra crispy basket. We deserve God's wrath. But Jesus came because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would not be destroyed, would not perish, but would have everlasting life. That's really good news. That is really good news because what it means is that when God fulfills his promise to us, if you got saved like I did as a preschooler, and you lived your life seeking to please the Lord, not perfectly, but that has been the trajectory of your life, you are going to receive eternal life with the Lord. And if you, like the thief on the cross, say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Or like the tax collector in the temple. You say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you know you don't deserve God's mercy, and that's why you need God's mercy, then God is doing a work in your heart, and he's drawing you to him. And whether it happens when you're a kid or like that old lady in hospice care, God will keep his promise to you and you will receive eternal life. That lady spent the last week of her life going through her address book, calling everybody in her address book and telling them that she had just been saved. She had received Jesus, and she wanted them to know about it and trust in Jesus too. That's how she spent her last week. I did her funeral a week later. I'll tell you something. I have no idea what is above my head. (laughs) I'll tell you something. If we got what we deserve, if we got what we deserve, we would all go to hell. That's what we've bargained for. That's what we're entitled to. But Jesus follows this story up by telling his disciples the gospel. And that is that he is about to go to Jerusalem and there he will be betrayed and he'll be condemned to death and he will be flogged and he will be crucified. But the third day, he's going to rise again from the dead. That's what Jesus said he was going to do. And you know what? That's what Jesus did, because God keeps his promises. He always does what he says he's going to do. If God's word says something, you can count on it. You can absolutely count on it. It's ridiculous how many times people who thought they were scholars tried to take issue with things that are in the scriptures, only to discover later on 
that the archaeology proved them to be the fools. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And the devil has used the same lie throughout history when dealing with man. Did God really say that? Oh, that's not true. It's not true. You you can't go by this. This is an old book. It's just a collection of ancient writings and so forth. This is full of contradictions. My follow-up to people who say it's full of contradictions is to say, show me. Show me the contradictions. And do you know what? Sometimes, most of the time, they say, well, I, I, I don't really uh, know exactly, I just, but I, I, I know it's, it's got contradictions in it. But sometimes, a PhD will say to me, well, for example, this versus this. And I say, let's look at those two passages together. And you know what? It turns out it's not a contradiction. It's not a contradiction. Was there one demoniac who lived among the tombs? Or were there two demoniacs who lived among the tombs? Because <laughs> one of the Gospels says it was one, and one of them says it was two. Do we have one volunteer group here this morning, or two volunteer groups here this morning? If I talked about this volunteer group that was here this morning, And I didn't mention this volunteer group that's here this morning. And then elsewhere, in the very same message, I refer to both. Am I contradicting myself? Of course not. You're not idiots. You know that you can talk about someone in particular and tell their story, or you can relate the fact that there was more than one person involved. I had some people in our church in Atlanta named the Halls. And I thank God for many reasons for putting those people in our church. They were wonderful folk. But when you're studying the names in the Bible, sometimes it sounds like somebody got a little jumbled up. You know what I mean? And God put the Halls in my church in order to straighten that out. Harold and Ruth Hall were a precious couple in my church. Harold and Ruth had a son named Harold. He went by Hap Hall. His legal name was Harold, but Hap Hall was what people called him generally. His wife, Hap's wife, was Jane. Harold and Ruth, Harold and Jane. But God also put a biologically unrelated, or at least not closely related family, in our church, John Hall, one of my closest friends. And John was married to a woman named Jane. So you had Harold and Ruth, Harold and Jane, John and Jane. Let's don't confuse them, they're not married to the same woman. And it's not sometimes he goes by Harold and sometimes he goes by John. This is a completely different person, completely different guy. John and Jane Hall. Okay, have you got it straight? You can stay with me. 
God put another wonderful couple in our church, precious folk. John Hall and his wife, Anna. So you got John and Jane, and you got John and Anna? Yeah. Now, one of the people that I have mentioned to you was John E. Hall III. He had a son named Johnny. If you saw in the church records a reference to Johnny Hall and you saw a reference to John E. Hall III, you might assume, as many would and did, that Johnny must be the third. No, he's the son of the third. But doesn't John E. Hall III sound like somebody who might be a, a, a kid? He wasn't. He's older than I am. He wasn't back then, but he is. So we had John E. Hall III, who was married to Jane. We had John Hall, who was married to Anna. We had Johnny Hall. We had Harold Hall married to Jane. And we had Harold Hall married to Ruth. And we had David Hall also. Now, I, I, I thank God for putting all those people in the church because I know how doctoral dissertations work. Somebody doing a doctorate in church history about a hundred years from now, looking for some obscure thing that nobody else has done as a doctoral thesis, because that's what you have to do if you want to get a thesis, is find something that no one else has written about, or something they have written about, but they didn't say the interesting thing you're going to say about it. And then you chase down this obscure thing and you build your research on that and so forth. Well, let me tell you what you would do in order to get a doctoral dissertation. You'd go back and you'd look at the records of Mount Vernon Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia in the mid-1980s and into the 90s, and you would sort through the mistakes in the minutes, and you would go back and straighten it out. You would say that John Hall was married to Jane. We have proof of it. I mean, there is loads of evidence that John Hall was married to Jane. And John Hall was married to Anna. We're going to have to let that stand. But this guy over here who claims to be Harold Hall married to Jane, that's a mistake. That's a scribal error. Okay? Somebody made a mistake in transcribing the records because we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Harold... Hall was not married to Jane. He was married to Ruth, okay? Harold Hall had been the head of personnel for AT&T before the breakup of Ma Bell. So he's a man we have secular records concerning. And therefore, we not only have the church records, but we have secular records that verify that Harold Hall was, in fact, married to Ruth Hall. And this stuff about Harold and Jane at the church was just a mistake. Somebody must have been referring to John and Jane, who is not the same person as John and Anna. Somebody else would do a doctoral thesis based on the same records and come up with the idea that polygamy was going on. Okay? Guy must have had more than one wife because we've got all these records about him. Well, some of these guys were deacons and some of them weren't. 
How are we going to straighten this out? You know what you ought to do? Believe the record. Believe the record. Because over and over and over and over, things the scholars said couldn't have been so turn out to be so. And the archaeologists just keep digging up the confirmation over there in the Middle East. The devil will try and tell you, you can't go by this old book. Remember, he's the father of lies. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants to destroy you through unbelief. So, are you going to believe what God says? If you are, you need to recognize the fact that you've sinned. And that you do not deserve to go to heaven. But that Jesus came to provide the way through his sacrificial death and his victory over death. And if you will trust in him, you will discover over and over and over and over that his word is true and that he is still answering prayer and doing miracles today. I plead with you. Repent and believe the gospel. Father, thank you so much for not giving us what we've earned. We thank you that your word tells us there will be varying rewards in heaven. And that is, in fact, for people like us, motivation to want to do well. But Lord, we're so glad we don't get what we deserve. We're so glad that instead you give us what you deserved because you took what we deserve. You exchanged our sin for your righteousness that we might become righteous in Christ. So we thank you and we marvel at your grace. Help us to truly Repent and believe the gospel. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.